Can I sort of to our feet? Caroline Wilson, come on up from AOK. And Ray Arisala Thompson, come on, give him a hand. We'll take a seat. We'll do a mic check. So for our first time, I'm just trying to get my head around the testing, testing. technicalities of this. But it's great to have these two here. You probably, some of you have probably um, seen them around or actually seen maybe this guy on a TV. He's been on the TV ad for, um, was it? Burger King. But he's one of the, you're one of the ambassadors eh, for White Ribbon Ambassadors. So he's come on a few ads there. So it's great to have also Caroline. You probably know also Caroline's husband, Mad Messenger. He's also been here in our church whānau, ministering here. So it's great to have you both here. Um, so we'll get into it. Are you ready? Double thumbs up. Here we go. So first to get into it, guys, just want to thank you for coming and having this Talanoa with us. Uh, the first question is, who are you? Where are you from? Uh, just give some background. And also, uh, what are some of the hobbies that you have so we can get connected here? And also, what's a place in the world you want to travel to one day? Okay, well, Fafzai um, Lava, Pastor Joseph, uh, my name is Caroline uh, Wilson, um, born in Wellington, raised in Otara, um, and do a lot of my work um, out of Otara, which I'm really proud to always say. <laughs> However, I did go to church here in Papakura for a few few years um, with the Beacon Church. Um, so, I'm a mum of two kids and one husband, because... <laughs> It's kind of all we can handle. Um, <laughs> it's probably all we should have. Um, and I, also, both my parents are Samoan. Mum comes from a village called Alamangoko. My dad comes from a village called Leili. Um, and so have a rural guy, country girl. They come together. Interesting mix <laughs> is all I'm going to say. Um, but other than that, um, hobbies that I have is... I don't have many other than I try to get a little bit of exercise in there, which is why I like what your wife does <laughs> and all her posts, very inspirational. Um, and part of the world that I want to go and visit is Israel. And I've always said if I go to Israel, I'm going to hit Spain, France, and all those countries around there. Um, nice, nice. <laughs> I'm going to go to that, so I'm going to make sure I hit all those countries. But um, that's kind of a place I want to go to. Awesome. Ray? Uh, yeah, Tala for everybody, and uh, thanks uh, for this opportunity. Also. Um, so, my name is Zaki Ray Marisela Thompson. I was born in Samoa. Uh, my parents hail from the villages of Lufi and Leunwenga in uh, Upolu, the main island in Samoa. Uh, and my other village is Otara, uh, which became my village uh, at the age of five when I moved here with my, uh, my parents. Um, so, some of my hobbies, I like to kick it with my kids. Not all the time, though. So I was looking forward to coming to church this morning. <laughs> they were playing up a little bit. So uh, bye, mum. Uh, bye, kids. Um, but uh, my background, um, I've been involved in, in mental health, suicide, uh, domestic violence uh, quite a bit. Uh, one is a survivor of uh, suicide at the age of nine. I'm a child sexual abuse survivor. Uh, also became a white ribbon ambassador. I run trainings around domestic violence, suicide around uh, New Zealand and uh, in the Pacific as part of my work with the New Zealand Police. And I just got back uh, from Hawaii, Chicago, and that we also run trainings uh, of how to engage our Pacifica young people um, across here in, in Australia as well. So it is... Uh, I wouldn't say a hobby, but it's something I'm quite passionate about uh, is the mental health and uh, suicide uh, of our people. Nice. Um, I'm Joseph Afiu. My original name is Josefo, just for those watching. Uh, born in Samoa, uh, from the village of Satui, Mulufunufi, and Falepunga. So, and uh, Talofa, everyone. Talofa! <laughs> so, um, let's get into the talk, okay? So, in terms of your backgrounds, obviously, we've heard a little bit of Ray. Um, Caroline, tell us a little bit of how. Um, obviously, what we're going to feel, um, what we're going to talk about this morning is suicide, mental health. How do you, how, where's your connection in that? How did you get involved? Um, do you focus on one particular area of uh, prevention, intervention, postvention? Where's, yeah. talk to us a little bit about. So, um, 
I kind of, uh, so AOK stands for Acts of Kindness That Build Life Supporting Communities. Um, and the whole reason why we've um, gone down this path is about 13 years ago, uh, my dad died by suicide. Um, and so I heard um, your story on the video. Uh, you kind of know what the impact of that is on our family. And, um, and one of the questions that you continue to ask, and you would probably ask this too, when you find or find out that you've lost someone to suicide is um, why? And that's an ongoing question that have really come to a place that you'll never ever answer, find the answer to. But the other question that always lingers is, um, could I have helped? Could I have done something? Uh, what, what, what did I not notice? Why didn't I notice it? And that kind of dilemma. So we um, have, since, yeah, when Dad died in 2003, um, I kind of went on a bit of a journey and wanted to understand how a man who was loving, ambitious, didn't sit in any of those risk high-risk groups, he wasn't in that slot. Um, how could he then, who taught us that life was important, then turn around and um, end his life? So it was kind of like, um, you know, so in my journey and finding all of this stuff out, I'm like, we could have helped. We could have helped. And so um, part of my background is I do a lot of training, facilitation. It's a passion of mine, similar to Ray's. Um, didn't ever think I'd be in the suicide prevention lane, but I've um, <laughs> been there for the last 10 years. And in the last two years when Lifeline uh, was, the funding got cut around suicide education, we said we'd take the, <laughs> the um, big mantle on board. Um, and it's been a big job because we're not funded. Um, and we've just kind of had to figure out how to keep these programs available, not just in Auckland, but right across the country. And in the last couple of years, we've done loads of workshops, but it's been like real, you know, off and oily rag type thing, but um, it is what it is, because at the end of the day, the need is massive, and these stats aren't going down. Um, and people sit here and overseas and in other parts of our country going, can I do something? This is something we constantly ask ourselves. Is there anything I can do? And the answer is yes, <laughs> there is. And that's why we deliver all these workshops to upskill people. It's awesome. And I've been privileged to be in one of the workshops, uh, early days, and learning from Caroline. And she is a fantastic, straight-up-the-guts uh, educator. So um, I vouch for the fact that she just brings some quality education. So, Ray, um, in terms of you, What's your background in this? Obviously, we learned a little bit about the story. Uh, yeah, so, uh, when it comes to suicide, so I was uh, initially sexually abused at the age of four uh, in Samoa. And then when we moved to Otara, uh, I got abused again at the age of five. Uh, so, the same relative uh, moved over and lived with us. So, for those of you that know how uh, immigrants, uh, especially Pasifika immigrants, uh, operate, usually when one family comes over, they become the hub for every other family to come and live with. So it wasn't uncommon to have about 20, 30 different uh, relatives that, uh, you know, all living in one place. So I became uh, sort of uh, one of those outcomes uh, at the time. So I didn't know who was uncle, auntie, whatever. Um, but we knew that as, uh, you know, young islanders uh, growing up, you respect your, your, your elders. So whatever you're told to do, pick up rubbish, wash dishes, whatever, you respected that regardless of whether you, you actually like it or not. Um, so I just followed on with that uh, tradition because if you don't listen, you get, you know, you get a, a bit of a belting, don't you? Yeah. So at the age of uh, eight, um, and I say this because all the Michael Jackson thing coming out, there's a lot of questions around why has it taken 20 years to actually, for these victims and that to come out. But as somebody who, who tried to come out, at the time, there, there is no template for you to follow when, when you're confident enough to actually come out. So when I did come out, and I shared it with my parents, whether or not they'd gone through the same experience or didn't have the tools to manage it, I was basically kind of sort of, you know, shoved over to one side to, or don't talk about that, you know, don't be cheeky, you know, your, your uncle or whatever, you know, is the one that helped us get to, you know, from Samoa to New Zealand. So... So if you can imagine as a kid, you know, in a new country, you know, still trying to adapt and, you know, in a new environment, when you're trying to reach out to, I think, as uh, Pacific Islanders, there's really three key pillars of support when you're new to a, a foreign country. One is your faith, one is your culture, and one is your family. And what I found through my experience and also in my professional career as a 12-year police officer is if when one of those uh, support uh, pillars are broken, 
you become broken, you lose your identity. So I was reaching out to my parents as uh, who's supposed to be my first and last line of defence. They didn't want to know anything about it. I reached out to my, my faith, you know, my church. Whether or not they had the tools to deal with it, they couldn't do it. So, so then, uh, about an hour after uh, reaching out to my parents, who were the last ones I did uh, reach out to, I walked out in front of uh, Preston Road and tried to commit suicide by getting run over. Um, but that was my first uh, experience of it um, because it started playing games with me. I, so I started blaming myself for, you know, well, I started questioning the validity of, of uh, my experiences. Was was I telling the truth? Was you know, everybody was telling me I was I was, I was a lot I was a liar or you know I wasn't being truthful. So then, not long after that, I spent two three years roaming around with local youth gangs in the uh, in my community. So that's essentially the experiences that really sort of triggered my trajectory, I suppose. Uh, becoming a police officer later on down my career wasn't really a career at the time. I hated gangs, uh, I hated police, so I despised police. Um, but I was also fortunate enough to have people like Caroline, you know, in their professions, um, not Caroline herself, but there were other social workers and that uh, youth leaders uh, who actually came to my aid, uh, you know, redirected my pathway, got me involved in church, which is the first time I met uh, uh, Caroline here at the Bible Baptist Church in Ōtara. Uh, so I was introduced uh, there by my um, by my family, and I started getting involved more with them. I had uh, good youth workers, got me into rugby. So I got got involved in a lot of violence. I went to three different high schools, uh, well, four high schools. So I went to Tangaroa, I went to Aurelia, I went to Hillary, and I went to Samoa, uh, to Pesenga Church College. And people always ask uh, why I went to so many different schools, but I had a bit of an anger problem. Um, but it all came back down to my experiences as, as, a, as a young person just trying to be heard. Uh, so, so, yes, I was sent back to Samoa, but uh, when my friends asked, I said, oh, it was just a lot of scholarships. I was being offered all these scholarships. And, <laughs> but I was the first one to be offered a scholarship back to Samoa. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that led me down to a, a path of uh, 12 years in the police, uh, doing some gang work uh, with other kids. There was a spate of youth gang related homicides in uh, South Auckland, and that was back in 2006. Eight uh, homicides there were, predominantly Pacific and Māori uh, offenders. So part of my work then, uh, using my, my experience, was I went and spoke to the, the families of the offenders, because quite often in the police and the public sector, when there's an issue, we would send our executives over to places like America, Europe, and then they bring back all these frameworks, all these different ideas, all these different initiatives. My argument with my bosses was, is that telling you, is that saying that our community don't have ideas to fix our own problems? So our organisation, Trust My River, which I co-founded, is built upon the Samoan proverb, so solutions for issues in the community can be found within our own communities. We're teaching a lot of our kids to reach for the stars all the way, you know, another side of the world, when the actual superstars that can actually solve our own issues, we're actually sitting next to, you know, we're actually going to school with them, we're shopping with them in our community. So but basically that's how I fell into this, uh, this sort of line of work. So our organisation, um, we've built a, a free app which is uh, self-funded, uh, well, most of our funding uh, now comes from America, but we've built an Airbnb of support services. So you have 7,500 uh, different services all across the country that are listed in one place like Airbnb. So um, your taxpayer money uh, pays for $10 million on free driver licence programmes nobody knows about, $15 million on free holiday programmes that nobody knows about. So basically what we do, we self-fund this to actually make sure you know about it so you can mitigate the risk of reaching crisis points where... It's hard to actually solve. That's good. Amazing. In terms of, um, let's go to the, the crowd here. Just start, hands up, who has had maybe a loved one take their own life by suicide? If you can raise. Cool, there's quite a few of us here. So, um, obviously, this is a lot of discussion that's possibly bringing up some emotion that's been buried in the back there. So, remember, as we're talking through this, um, don't just leave the room, uh, just make sure you tell someone, thumbs up, I'm okay, I'm just going to the bathroom. Okay, just to make sure we're safe here. So we're going to move straight into this conversation. There's some myths around there around suicide, 
And what we wanted to tackle this morning is what, what are some of those myths and if you want to speak into it, they bring some truth to, um, obviously, to educate us. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of myths um, that sit out there that stop people from talking about suicide. Um, but if we can kind of just say that um, if a person is thinking about suicide and they're still alive, there's a part of them that's crying out, help. Some people think, oh, they're suicidal, they're serious, they don't need help, no, no, no. The fact that they're still alive, they need help. And the hope is that when you hear that, that busts half of the myths. The other myth that we need to bust is um, we can all help. Sorry, the myth is only certain kinds of people can help. We want to bust that by sort of saying everyone has a part to play. Even if you don't have the conversation but you've been able to see or be alert or um, sense that someone's not in a good space, the fact that you saw it, you start the process. If you can't engage with them, grab someone else to engage engage with them. And I think these are some of the things that um, we really need to start communicating and delivering is when people are in a place of stress and they don't look like they want your help, they want your help. Mm. <laughs> well, they want help, full stop. And we can all play a part. Even if it's a very little thing, we all play a part when we stick, put it all together. So that's kind of all I want to say around myths. Yeah. Right. have you come across any myths that... I just totally agree everything she's talking about there and I suppose one of the reasons why we encourage people to use services like uh, AOK is because they're about building and enabling communities to actually come up with the answers and to help each other. Um, I've been, you know, being in, a, in my police career, I've watched and seen people being referred to different organisations and us putting all our hopes and dreams on clinicians. Clinicians only do one part. But what we, we also undermine by doing that is the ability of our own families to actually do their part. We've had people that have been saved just by walking down the street, having time out, and talking to a stranger on the bus stop. You know, just, just random acts uh, like that. So it doesn't, you know, we, 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 we encourage people to actually support each other, come up with their own solutions sort of thing. And one of the biggest things that we probably fight today, and I know that um, it's a massive issue, is the whole thing of technology. You know, because we used to be a society that could actually know the person next door to us, can actually say, hey, there's, there's Jimmy, you know, and actually knew the names of our neighbours. But now we're more about what's here and living in this fantasy world that's out there. And you, you notice that people walking around, they're actually not walking up front now. That The new way of walking is, <coughs> this is my world, you know. And, and I saw this, some stats around one of the surveys done in America recently around the, the level of... Um, social media activity and also the mental health um, and illness, um, how that's actually allowed to mental health to actually increase. So that some of the things that we need to kind of investigate in our own families is something around how much time, and I know for Lydia and I, uh, we need to investigate that ourselves. Is there too much time on that stuff? Because you're talking about um, social media has made us non-social. Yeah. <laughs> that's the reality. And the thing is that even our tamariki, our, our, um, our kids are growing up in a world where that's all they know. This is all they know. And then we talk about the discussion of uh, being open, but some of our kids don't even know how to speak and have that conversation. So no, it's, it's so important. And no, you're absolutely right. And so the data, there's data out there, there's data everywhere. Like every week there's data coming out. <laughs> um, but what's some of the data you've seen and some of the things that you want to speak into around that and what it does it mean for us? Um, just in the last two years, um, the, there's been a real spike up in our numbers. Um, probably in the last, from, and, and these are not, they're not the official statistics. So we work off provisional statistics. And what I mean by that is the coroner. If, if there's a suspected suicide, it goes to the coroner's office. They have to get as much information as they can to be able to validate if it is or isn't. And so we don't get those confirmed numbers for another three years. So while we get um, a media release around August every single year, um, they'll tell us 606, 668, but we won't know the official figures for a while. Um, however, in saying that, I would rather talk about this statistic. And this statistic implies that um, one in 20 is potentially thinking about suicide over a two-week period. Now let's break that down into our figures in this country. If we've got a population of 4.5 million, that's around 250,000 people across New Zealand over a two-week period that are crying out help, help. 
But the cool thing about that figure is this. Like we could, I could end it there and we could kind of go one out of 20. Man, that's huge. But if we flip the script and look at it again, that means that there are 19 helpers to every one crying help. Yeah, that's good. So yeah. with 19 helpers, you know, we've got to be able to equip the 19 people to be able to, one, be in tune with the people around you. Now find that one that's asking help because they're not going to ask you for help. Let's just even say that. They want you to notice them, but they're not going to ask you because they don't know how. Yeah. That's just a hard thing to do when you're in this space. So if we're able to equip the 19, how much better will our community become? You know, and even if they can, even if they know the signs or the very basics, we're starting the process. And then the 19, if we can figure out who the other 18 are, <laughs> then we can kind of work together, you know? But I think that to me is the most important statistic right now is the amount of help that's available to that one that potentially is crying out help. Anything you want to add to that, Ray? Or? Yeah, again, just support what uh, her comments, but also to just put out there that uh, the World Health Organization's data around suicide, you know, somebody kills themselves every 40 seconds around the world, every 14 hours here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. That's uh, gone up from uh, every 15 uh, hours. So we're all walking time bombs. So something as simple as what your your little uh, exercise this morning around just going and saying hi to somebody, <laughs> hugging somebody, it doesn't cost you anything, you know, uh, and, and, and you can do it just like that. And every every 4.7 million Kiwis can actually do that. Yeah. We don't have to rely on the 97,000 health and social services across Aotearoa, New Zealand to do that. But the beauty of having people uh, like Caroline and the type of mahi she's about in terms of equipping uh, families, equipping those who actually go home to the muddy bath water we're trying to, we're trying to save, really helps us uh, you know, even out that, uh, that ratio because we all have a part to play uh, in, in saving our people. And that's the whole thing of actually everyone can be involved in, yeah. in prevention yeah. and everyone can be involved in loving someone. Yeah. And I think sometimes in that whole thing of... Sometimes we get awkward, because I know that this morning, even in our own church, it was like, hug someone. It's like that, oh my, I've got to come out of myself to actually embrace someone else. Um, but that's the beauty of uh, the love of God, obviously, in us, that we can do that. And some of that, those barriers and those walls, obviously, we need to, um, we do this with the Hope Walk, um, the winner stuff we do, is that we ask people to hug three people. And there's so much joy in that. But then there's almost there's also an awkwardness about, oh man, what is someone going to think about me, you know? And as soon as we break that barrier down, we can obviously bring some of the tools that we are sharing this morning to actually bring some change in as well. So here's a question for us. Um, I'll start with you, Caroline. What is the church's response? The church is not an organisation; it's the people. What is the what is the church's response? You mean the actual response? Yeah. What no, can no, we no, do? You know. They the, what we can do is what you've just said here is just we've got to connect. We've got to, if you're, I mean, thankfully as believers, we have the Holy Spirit in us that gives us a discernment. And if the discernment is telling you, talk to that person, talk to that person. <laughs> like, don't even question it. Just go to that person and start the conversation. Start off with how are you or even just say, look, I'm just kind of sensing that something's not right here. Can we have a court at all? It's as simple as that. It's not... There isn't like a magical step. We already have the tools. We already know how to hug. We already know how to do all of that. But for some reason, in that moment, all of that goes out the window. <laughs> These are basic human skills that we have. So why do we disqualify it in the time of someone's need? Why do we do that? You know, and a lot of it is, I don't want to look bad. I don't want to be bummed out. It's none of my business. Like that stuff are all excuses that don't belong here. If someone's crying out help and you can sense it, even without the without any obvious cues, but your intuition and your discernment is saying, go talk to that person, do it, <laughs> do it. And that to me is the, the only response. Um, and you'd probably share this as well, eh, Ray? Like when you work with people with lived experience and you ask them, what, what got you through that? I mean, you, you survived it, you didn't end up in, you know, you didn't die by suicide, you didn't end up going through it, what stopped you? Nobody gives me magical answers like they said this amazing thing. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody says that. All they say is somebody was there. Yeah. As simple as that. Someone was there and you might not know what to say, but you just being there is enough for that person. Um, somebody quoted Acts 16 this morning. Um, just near the end of that chapter, it talks about Paul and Silas being in jail. 
and that massive earthquake happens and the jailer's about to kill himself and Paul turns around and says, don't kill yourself because we're here. And I was like, whoa, that's all he said. Yeah. We're here and he turns around and he's like, well, how do I get saved? But that first thing he said was, I'm here for you and the power of those words, the power of that action. Um, so as a church, I think our response is just to do what Yahweh already tells us to do, love. But love isn't just saying it, it's actually being there and just being ready to just support that person. And I'm going to get Ray's take on it. That's good. Let's give a round of applause. That's a great answer. I was saying that your answer wasn't good as well. <laughs> but the thing is that also, I think I'm going to get to Ray soon, but also we paint this perfect scene in church. Eh? Everyone comes to church and they've got to be perfect. Yeah. And then we actually put it on other people. Actually, church wasn't made for perfect people. It was made for imperfect people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because none of us are perfect. Hands up if you're not perfect. I'm putting my hand up first. I need two hands. I need three hands. <laughs> and your feet as well and your toes maybe not the toes but the thing is that the beauty of it is that um, we understand that we're imperfect and we can come with our the things that we're going through and actually the struggles that, we, that are real for us and actually say I need help and I love that what you said this morning about just being there who can be there for someone hands up see it just starts with that Ray your take on it uh, so uh, as we discussed earlier I think it's important for uh, churches to know uh, the vulnerabilities of their own leaders. I think we often look at our leaders as, as these perfect uh, people. I did a little exercise uh, at Tangaro College, uh, uh, sorry, Hillary College uh, recently, where I got the, um, the teachers and the parents to come into the middle of the, uh, the gymnasium. Uh, and then I got the students, 200 of them, to uffy around the, the parents and the, and the teachers. And then just to hug them and just say, hi, how are you? Because we often, you know, you know, with our daily tasks, our, our, our careers and that, we forget to, to also remind the, the, the kids, for them to be successful, we need to make sure that our leaders, our parents are also fit mind, body and soul. And something as simple as, as just a, a hug or how are you also acknowledges them and also could be the tipping point of them staying alive for the next day. Um, you, you know what I mean? Something as simple as that. But if I can uh, make a comment too in terms of an observation going back to the technology uh, side of things and the skyrocketing of, of things like depression, anxiety, uh, suicide. If you look at how when we grew up, um, we normally have like close uh, friends, right, and and they generally stay with you right throughout your your lifespan. And you only had a handful of friends. Now a lot of our young people have got about five thousand different friends on their. Uh, so you've got five thousand different influences, five thousand different educators, five thousand. But the difference between being educated by five thousand people in the virtual world and and seven close knit friends. You've got that physical bond. You've got that dialogue. That you know the hug. You got you know all these little activities that we're doing here. You don't quite have that in the virtual space. So, although your education, information, you you're getting information overload, but you're getting so much, and you haven't quite built a foundation of how to deal with some of those skills. So it's uh, just as parents and as you know people working in these uh, areas, it's. Uh, one, it's important to actually be able to manage uh, that, but also set a, a, a good example in front of your kids. Uh, there's a guy named Digital, what, Tony Laulu, Digital uh, something rather, his organisation, and he promotes an 8 to 8 uh, initiative, which he's just started this Sunday. It's basically just staying off social media from 8am to 8pm, uh, just as a start to, to, to get people away from the technology and then get them to start having meals together, exercise together, attend church together, and just fellowship together. Rather than being educated and fellowshipping with others, you've got your own family and your own children here crying out for your, your attention. So good. Give a round of applause. That's great. So let's, let's move forward in terms of... Um, Obviously, uh, part of our talk is also around mental health, and what's a, what's the connection, if there's any, because obviously um, there's enough wise people in this room to understand that, but is there a connection with mental health and suicide, or is there not? Mm. I guess we're just going to put it out there, I guess, because some people think that if you've got a mental health issue, you're going to be suicidal, but yeah. in some cases, that's not the truth. Yeah. So can you speak into that? I think because um, this is one of those sort of questions that everyone um, puts either on one end 
all suicides have mental health related, uh, mental health related, and then they kind of put it on the other. But the question is, what is what is mental health? What is it? Um, and what it is is, I mean, we have physical well-being, and you know what it's like when you're not physically well. What happens to you? <laughs> you're not well, and it impacts on everything. And we've got to maintain that. We've got to eat. We've got to sleep. We've got to exercise. Those are the things that keep us physically well. But from a mental well-being space, we all not all of us will have a mental illness, but all of us have to know how to manage our own mental well-being. You know, we think every day, we have to make decisions, we've got to, we have challenges every day, we've got to overcome them, we have pressures that come from left, right and centre, we've got to be able to manage all of that. And um, if we don't have the right supports in place, if our physicality isn't in a good place, if our spirituality isn't in a good place, very quickly your mental health gets impacted. It doesn't have a place to reach out and it could very quickly down spiral to a point where I can't cope, I don't know where to go for help, I don't have it in me to get help, I don't know what to say, I don't know where to go and you end up with a very small amount of options. And when they start to um, diminish, you're standing in front of suicide. Um, so I really want us to understand that mental health is something that we all challenge or go through on a daily basis that we've all got to maintain. Um, and so being able to maintain that is important. But if we're not maintaining that, people tend to look at suicide as a way to maintain it. And that's scary because that's not healthy. And the outcome of that is death. Um, and so as uh, alert as aware as we are about our physical well-being, we need to have the, the same consciousness, the same awareness when it comes to our mental health well-being, is how are we looking after that? Who are our supports? Where do I go? And one of the things that I really love about uh, Ray's app, My River, is it categorizes everything. <laughs> so if you have a specific issue with your mental wealth, uh, mental health, sorry, with your mental health, you can go into that app and you can kind of start to, you know, which area do I really need specific help in? And then it breaks it down even more and then you have these numbers and specific people to contact and that is a really good self-seeking, uh, help-seeking um, tool that I try to teach as many people as I can to use. <laughs> and guys who come out of the prisons, I'm like, guys, you need to get this on your app because it's really important. You need to be able to safeguard yourself. Not everyone here is going to be able to help you. You're going to have to go find some of that help to sustain yourself. So I don't know if I answered your question, but um, <laughs> I do want to make us understand what mental health is and how we all go through it on a daily basis. We've all got to manage it. But mental illness is a little bit different, and this is where specific help is required. Um, and and we could, maybe Ray could talk a little bit more about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Having attended suicides and homicides for 12 years in my policing career, there are two common denominators that, uh, that, that, that feature in why people tend to either commit crimes or become a victim or, or, or kill themselves. It's necessity, desperation. Mm. So we've all touched on the fact that uh, people are reaching out for help. Not all of us understand the science, but within all of us, we can actually help you know, reduce a whole lot of that. Um, another two, uh, um, another common denominator in a lot of deaths that uh, we attended, when we did forensics uh, evidence um, investigations on their phones, their devices, again going back to technology, is that six months before a person's death, we normally found that they reached out for help. So if we look at those three pillars that I mentioned earlier on, as, a, as, as, a, as an individual, usually as a Pacific Island individual, your faith, your culture, and your family. If those three support mechanisms or pillars of support for you are also the ones that are abusing you, where do you reach out for help? A lot of our uh, whānau are coming over, you know, like any other community that, that move here to New Zealand, they all come here for the same thing, regardless of what your background is. They come here to Aotearoa New Zealand to thrive. A lot of them are barely surviving. Mm -hmm especially if the ones that are meant to provide that support are also the perpetrators. We have a lot of our people being exploited. Um, so your question around the uh, mental health, you have a warrant of fitness for your vehicle. There is no warrant of fitness for us 
in terms of our physical uh, well-being and our mental well-being. And so totally totoko what Caroline's saying, we have to look after that um, because without that, this is where we re reach the point of necessity and desperation. When you're not healthy, you don't have many tools to deal with. Mm -hmm. If you look at the rural to urban migration of Māori, Māori now costs us $8 billion a year in social costs because nobody taught them financial literacy before they left their close-knit uh, whānau support. And then they come here to the burbs and they have all this money all of a sudden. They've never held money in their lives. They've never had relationships outside of their, their own uh, people. And then you look at the likes of the Irish uh, potato famine. Two million Irish moved to places like Boston, New York because there was a famine. Uh, the, the potato uh, plague. You look at the statistics of what happened to the Irish when they first moved there and compare it with the statistics in indigenous communities like the Aboriginals in Australia, Aboriginals in Hawaii, Aboriginals are the, the indigenous uh, Māori here. Exactly the same parallel statistics. High suicide, high incarceration rates, high admittance to hospital after something that could have been prevented. So the point of my research around that uh, migration is that people don't commit crimes or become victims because they're inherently you know, bad people or because they're black, white or whatever. Mm. It's because people make poor choices out of necessity and desperation when they don't know where else to reach. So if you're new to a country and you don't know what support's available, <laughs> then you start making you know, uh, desperate decisions. And hence why we self-funded and created our own app and we totally refuse government funding is because they are some of the failures of why we have uh, some of the stats that we, we do have now. Um, Amazing. In terms of uh, resources, we've spoken about the resources already, but um, we want to just make this real practical for everyone. Um, now, your app is free, eh? It's free. It's free, and it's also free to register yeah, as so, an organisation. Amazing. So... Uh, just know that these resources here, but is there anything else, are there numbers that we can, I think just getting the information out there, it's going to be obviously on Facebook Live, what are some resources and tools and, and numbers that you can yeah. just promote this morning? Well, um, I always promote my river, like I only, I only, pro I mean we have like a two-sided sheet of resources that we offer people, but to be honest it's just too many options again, <laughs> like where do you start? Um, so I usually just tell people, here's my river. It's a very um, user-friendly tool. And then if um, you need a person on the other side of the line to help you sort things out, I usually promote the 0800 211 211 number um, because there are times when we're working with people. Because one of the things that we've always got to be mindful of is what Ray's just said. Um, while we start the connection, we need to now be able to build some of those supports around the person. And you need to be one of those supports. Um, that you don't just become the bridge to all the other supports, you become one of those supports. And some of that is being able to access some of those resources from the My River app or getting someone to help you find those resources on, um, on, a, on 0800-211, which is a Family National Services Directory helpline, but they're only available from 9 to 5. <laughs> Sorry. But, yeah, again, we... Basically everything, uh, all the numbers on the, at the bottom of the every article around suicide is all listed on our app. So we try and encourage pe people to learn one uh, app that houses all of that information anyway. And we also encourage our app not as a crisis uh, to ring 111 if you're in a crisis, but if you're wanting to find jobs, if you're wanting to find uh, CVs, budgeting services. So the point I want to make about the app is we're a, we're a prevention tool people in the uh, rehabilitation side also uses it. How we're a prevention tool is because we promote things like budgeting, CV, how to uh, go through an interview. Those are the things that people are actually, so 90% of all the, the, the reach for our app has nothing to do with suicide, mental health, domestic violence. Most of it is to do with budgeting, how to put a CV together, how to get a job, driver's license. Those are the things that we often overlook and if we don't manage and help people get a driver's license, because not very many employers now hire anybody without a driver's license. So those are the things that we overlook. But if we overlook them, then later on down life, they become the crisis. So I think Salvation Army did a uh, research paper last year which found $54 billion of your taxpayer money goes on, 90% uh, of that uh, $54 billion goes on rehabilitating people. 
So what's that telling us? It's telling us that we have no faith in the ability of churches, marae, grassroots organisations, sports clubs to actually be able to manage, but they also run their own services as well with very little funding and support. So that's why data uh, for us is quite important because there's a misconception too that men don't reach out for help. 90% of the... Uh, sorry, 50% of all the people using our app every day, 4,500 people use the app every day to reach out for different services. 90% of that uh, reach for men is for support, but that being declined 90% of the time, especially if it's around domestic violence and that. Because there's 78 women's refuge across the country, there's only two places for men funded by men themselves. If we're serious about cracking down the, the whip on uh, suicides, why isn't there very many support for, 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 for men? Men's suicide rates have uh, climbed up from three to one now to four to one uh, over women. So if we're serious about uh, trying to reduce victimisation from domestic violence and that, have the support for, for men so that they don't hurt their mums and dads, uh, their, 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 uh, their wives and their children. About three years ago, two South American fathers committed suicide because every time police turned up, they had to go find somewhere else to, to, to stay. They haven't been in the country long enough to build up a, a support network for them to actually have an alternative address to go to. Um, so we've just got to be mindful of stuff like that. So it's all good and well doing all the awareness stuff that we're doing here, but if the system is still geared up to actually support rehabilitation, then we're setting up our, our, our people to fail. Can I just add, um, in terms of resources, and I did this on Friday with a... Um, an organisation, the resources are here as well. You know, like um, while we're waiting for government to sort stuff out mm. <laughs> and get a system together that may never happen. Yeah. Um, uh, what I do want to say is the resources are here. And one of the responses, just to kind of go back to the church response and to tie it up here, and Ray mentioned something this morning to me, is um, we have a lot of those skill sets in the church. Um, and I think it's, the helping process starts on one end, but it requires a whole heap of people to fill the rest of the gaps. And it's about knowing what the strength, what strengths you have to be able to create that resource within the church. Some of you have the skills to do therapy. Some of you have the skills to do triage or assessments. Some of you have the skills to afi them after this corridor. So it's really about being able to recognise the resources here in your, um, in your body, in your church, and then being able to kind of go, who can do what and when? Um, and I would really uffy that and really support that, as well as all of this other stuff as well. Um, there's been a lot of talk this morning about suicide, and, and obviously um, it can be a very uh, dark place to be in in terms of discussing it, but I think it also can bring some hope. And I, I pr My hope and my prayer is that you're feeling hopeful this morning. Who's feeling a lot more knowledgeable about what they can do? Cool, fantastic. I think let's talk about, because another part of this is that suicide is the, the door down here, um, and our hope is that they choose the door called hope. And I think, uh, but down here is suicide. Over here on this far side is something called self-care. What, what are some of the things you do personally? Oh, actually, what's your, what's your understanding of self-care, and what do you do personally, just to bring it down to earth, for us to kind of look at for ourselves? Because a lot of times, who's, who's busy? Hands up. Who's busier than busy? Who's too busy? And sometimes when that happens, you know, um, everyone is busy. But there's, there's got to be this reality. And I, I, I was quite a scripture that says this, uh, Mark 12, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, mind, will, and emotion, and with all your mind and with all your strength. And second, love your neighbours as yourself. See, we're good at loving everyone else. We're good at loving our friend next door. We're good at loving our, those of you in our waka those who are close-knit, but then sometimes when we look in the mirror, we don't like the person that we see. And that's all to do with self-care. We've got to be able to love ourselves. And a lot of today is that a lot of people are not able to project that because they can't see it in themselves. So what are some things for self-care? And speak into it, if you can. So, so um, self-care for me is, uh, and I'll be really honest, um, there are days when I recognise my need for self-care, and there are days when I don't see it because I just get stuck in this. I, you know, you have the days where you just start to down spiral and you don't even recognize you're down spiraling. So, one of the things I have um, around me is I have a, an awesome husband, I have beautiful, amazing kids that can pick it up and they call it out as soon as they do. 
um, and they'll call out, Mummy, you don't look all right because you just don't sound like you are. You're talking funny. You sound funny. Mummy, you look tired. So they're a little bit, and my family know that. We have our own kōrero or our own salanoa at home about how do we look after each other, and they call it out. Um, sometimes I know when I'm in, a, in not a very good space, and I'll tell my husband, I think I did that on Friday. <laughs> so, okay, um, dear, um, <laughs> not feeling the best right now. Um, just a whole heap of things are happening, and I probably just need you to, you know, some extra care is required. So this is me reaching out. But um, in terms of what I do try to do is I do try to exercise. I try to cut down on the sugar. Um, these Because I know these things contribute to my down spiraling. So there's some real obvious things that I do try to do. Um, obviously, I also have very good friends and a good uh, family. Um, we On Saturdays, we rest. We don't work. We've just cut that day into just um, rest for us. And um, it's just a way to turn it all off and just replenish and recharge and then start again. Um, so these are just things that we do habitually. Um, but I do know that there are times when I don't recognise it and I really depend on my family to be able to recognise that for me and call it out. That's awesome. Ray? Yeah, self-care. So... Um I think first of all is to, is to recognise that uh, not to be naive that uh, that you don't need the, the self care. Uh, we're all out there exposed to everybody else's trauma, trying to save the world. But where do we turn to when we need help ourselves? So case in point, I was going through a, a bit of a, uh, a messy relationship at the time, uh, and I just got promoted to sergeant, and I was getting all these awards and the police for doing all the stuff saving everybody else. But I'd never attended any of my Outer daughter's uh, assemblies. I've never attended any of her field trips. Um, and then at the time too, I was dealing with a lot of, uh, some of my work also involved uh, informants where police pay different gang members, presidents and stuff to give information on their, their mates and stuff like that. So a bit of a dangerous world, but you're trying to save all these people. And then I went to sit into one operation around uh, was all this cannabis operation across New Zealand. And at the time, I was on a roll with my other, uh, another friend who I joined the police with. He's from Ōtara. Um, but we had the highest search warrants in the country. 30% of all the information uh, that came to police uh, about all these gang members and all these firearms and all that came through two of us, two Samoan boys from the hood. And the bosses were loving it. And then one time I, uh, I went and sat in an operation and I was one of the team leaders and when they brought up the, the photos of the actual people that we were actually going to hit, my younger brother was one of them. So in terms of self-care, it's important that all the other times my younger brother... just channeling it back, connecting it back to what I said earlier. We're all reaching out for, for others, but we're also missing an opportunity. All the superstars are sitting right next to us. And I still think to that day, and my brother's gone a you know, bit off the tracks, but I could have done something. So in 2000 and Ah, 17. I left the police to to concentrate on my own family. Yeah, let's give these two a round of applause. Amazing vulnerability. Amazing. You know, self-care is so important, and I think um, even in our Christian circles, we can spiritualize a lot of things. Actually, we spiritualize everything. Um, but we've got to understand that there's uh, an important side of us that needs to recharge and have a break and also look after self, because you know, like we said this morning, you know, there's, there's heaps of things. Um, who knows that when you look at your phone, there's like texts or emails that come your way, and everyone wants your attention. Who's got those kind of days where everyone wants your attention? Or these things that you're left on the back burner that you know you're going to get to one day, but you haven't got to. Um, and you can put the expectation and the weight of that on yourself. So the importance of self-care is, is key for us. Remember, we're playing the long game. This is not a sprint. We've got to actually, there's so many people to, to reach. 
And the thing is that we play the short game sometimes and without. And I, I know personally, because I know I've been through that, there's a, there's a term that I use with Lydia is that the good, the bad, bad and ugly. I have my good days. Who has good days? I have my bad days where things just don't work out the way they're supposed to. And then I've got ugly days yeah. where you just want to close the door, put a pillow on your head, and just pray that everything disappears. Yeah. And I get one of those days now and then. And I, the beauty of this is that my wife is so there, and she's right there, and she understands to leave me um, to have that time. And the cool thing is that we can have discussions around it. And I think the important thing is that um, family time is so important because our family get the brunt of it, eh? Yeah. And, and you know that you don't have that family time anymore. And I know some of you have actually dedicated some time to say, this weekend, let's go away as a whānau, as a inga. And this is spend time time reconnecting again. But don't just wait for the big trips. Create actually um, habits in your family that, the dining room table is a time we can get together. If you have a, don't have one, make sure it's a lounge time or games day. Yeah. Yeah, things, that's important of self-care. Yeah. Now, there's so many things that we can speak into. Um, this is not a big theological thing because sometimes um, when it comes to this, the intention is actually to help someone yeah. and to help those out there. Yeah. And I think it's important that we get this information out there. Um, so I'm so grateful for these two. Who's, who's learned a lot this morning? Wonderful. So let's give Caroline a big round of applause. She's been an amazing legend. Caroline's going to be roaming after this as well, if you want to ask any. And Ray, I met Ray while walking with the police. So Ray, amazing. Um, our next Talanoa is um, later, later on in the, in the year, and it's on uh, abuse, addiction, and something else. And then later on in the year, well, we're going to change one of our other Talanoas to talk about free speech and hate speech. Oh, some deep stuff, okay? So let's pray. It's karakia. And then uh, please, if you need prayer for anything, uh, we'll need some leaders up here that can pray with you. But at the same time, let's be open. Let's be vulnerable. But also out of our vulnerability, you can find victory. Okay, so thank you so much. Beautiful people. Give them another round of applause. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for just the great wisdom, Lord God, that's come out of this. And I pray that we... As a church, Lord God, that we could use this to help our colleagues in work, our family and our friends, and also at times ourselves, Lord God. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you gave your son for us. And today we want to show each other love and compassion and care. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you all. If you need prayer, come to the front. But if you need to have more conversation with these